so. I was standing in Indonesia. I was preparing to speak to a, an ordination service for a pastor there that had a congregation of about 80 people, still dirt floors, no windows, but openings and partially finished building. Not nearly as fancy and nice as this one, but you know, it was getting there. And um, as I was, and then I sat down over there to just kind of wait because the leaders were having their big talk. And so I'm just sitting over there waiting. And I began to hear this loud clanging and loud banging and screams and shouts and chants. And in my spirit, I knew this is evil. This is evil. This is serious. So, of course, the first thing you always do is you just ask the Lord. Just immediately just consult with headquarters. Talk to him. Lord, what is this? And he said, this is evil. And they're here. And this is not good. And then I sat quietly and just said, okay, praise you, Lord. I'm safe and secure in you. So I had a sense of God's peace and protection. But it was very dangerous. So then the wife of the president of the Bible college where I was speaking that week, she came over to me. Her husband was in charge of leading the group, and she said, you need to know what's going on. I said, well, I can tell you this much, it's evil. She said, oh, it's very evil. She said, and this was in 1988. She said, the Muslims here in Indonesia hate the Christians, and they want to kill us all. And she said, in this region where we're now at, in the last month, they have attacked 10 churches when people were in there worshiping. They attacked the churches. They surrounded them. They set them on fire. And they waited for the Christians to come running out so they could beat them and kill them. She said, at least 50 have died and many more have been severely injured. And they're here today and they've surrounded the building. They're here to kill us, to burn us down, burn us out, and drive us out. They were here to destroy us. Wickedness abounds. But God says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And grace means God's presence, power, and provision. So, wow, God prevails in every situation. Even if, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you have to go through a fiery furnace, it's okay. When God is in it, it's all good. It's all God and therefore it's all good. Doesn't look good, doesn't feel good all the time, but it doesn't matter because it's God. And if you start with God, it's always all good. It's always... Amen. What? All good. All good. All good with God. That's right. It is, it is, it is. So, I consulted the Lord again. I said, okay, Lord. Hallelujah. They're surrounding us. They're going to try to destroy us, burn us down. But what do you say? That's what man says. But what does God say? Once you consult with him and get a word from God, you can stand. Solid word is about standing on the living word, Jesus, and what he has spoken. God has spoken. I love the Old Testament. Thus saith the Lord. That's the final word. Thus saith the Lord. So, Lord, what do you say? Immediately he brought to mind, no weapon formed against you will harm you. What does that say to us? It means no matter what anybody tries to do, what anybody has by way of weapons of destruction, it will not harm you. 
It will not harm you. It will not adversely affect you. You are going to be safe and secure in the Lord. So I said quietly a moment and said, Okay, Lord, thank you. No weapon will harm me. But is there anything else? He said, Yes. Let every mouth be stopped. That God be proven true and every man a liar. He is the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And apart from him, there is no truth. There are true facts, but they are not the truth. He alone is the truth. And so he said, God is going to be proven true in this place and every man a liar. That is to say, who is the true and living God? Jesus Christ, the Lord and almighty God, Father. However, there are other religions that have other beliefs, and that's their choice. But I believe the Word of God. I believe this is God's Word. And let God be true, and every man a liar. So I went up to the leaders who were standing there, six or eight of them, and they were all concerned about what they knew was happening, and then they said, Have you heard? I said, yes, your wife told me. Well, what do you think? I said, well, this is what I know. I have talked to the Lord, and this is what he said. And then I told him what I just told you. And they said, well, what should we do? And I said, we're going to hold hands, we're going to pray, and we're going to stand in faith. I'm going to preach, and God's going to prevail. So we stood in a circle, we held hands, we prayed, we worshiped, we praised God. You know, when Paul and Silas were in the prison... And it looked the worst. They worshipped. And the jail burst open. This is God at work. Nothing. Nothing is too hard for him. So we stood. We prayed. We praised. Their people gathered to sing. We began to sing and praise God. (laughs) And the chanting was louder. And then it began to get lower and less. And by the time I stood and took this beautiful book, the Bible and began to preach. There was not a dissenting voice. All those outside the building were gone. Gone. Silenced. By the power of the living God. This is who he is. And this is what he can do. And I stand here today as living proof. Living proof that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is alive, he is real, and he's here to make a difference in your life today. And when the Bible says he is no respecter of persons, it means he, he has no favorites, and yet he has only favorites. Because <laughs> we're all his favorites in Christ. And he's simply saying, just give me a chance. Just let me show you who I am and what I can do. He says, I love you so much, and I'm here to restore and renew and make whole. This is who he is. And this is what he does. This is not about a building. It, it's not about a book even. It's about the almighty God who sent his wonderful son Jesus as a love gift to us. And when we unwrap that gift and simply receive. You know, Christmas is a fun time, especially for kids. And to receive a gift. Man, when I was a kid, there was five of us children. We all, my brother and sisters, we all shared the same bedroom. We were crammed in. 
Dad's health was bad. We didn't have a whole lot of money most of the time. Uh, the only time I got a new any new clothes to wear was at Christmas time, and I was so excited. Of course, now my son said he hates getting clothes at Christmas, but I said, hey, when we were a kid, that was a good deal. In fact, the clothes that I used to wear were what kids spend money and pie and think is cool now. All uh, holes in the knees and, and ragged pants <laughs> and faded stuff. Man, I, I hated that stuff. And I had to roll my pants up through two or three times and now that's cool. Man, I mean, I, I was cool before anybody knew cool even existed, you know. <laughs> but still, this gift that God offers is such a wonderful gift. And, and at Christmas time, you're so excited and you get that gift and you open it up. You just, all you got to do is receive the gift. You don't have to wait around for anybody to tell you. Once you're a little bit old, it doesn't take very, uh, kids get very long. They figure out tearing into the package and getting down to the goodies is, is all what it's all about. So, we have a gift. But you got to receive it. Just receive. And I'm living proof that as a boy of 11 years of age, going through a lot of difficult stuff in my life, and after I had committed a petty theft and got caught by the police, and the police officer standing at the front door with Mama, crying, I mean, holding my little sister and bawling her eyes out, because she's got a thief on her hands now, a criminal, and I'm standing there, and I know I'm in serious trouble. And, of course, Daddy hadn't got the word yet, and he didn't fool around. <laughs> I knew all, I had all hell to pay. If you think hell is bad, it ain't nothing like being around when you got a daddy that doesn't tolerate nonsense. So uh, it was a fearful time. But it was a wake-up time. I mean, I had to wake up and realize I'm on a bad path. The kids I was hanging with, they were not good kids. They were troublemakers. Their big brothers and sisters, the ones they were the ones that convinced us to go steal. And they were saying it was easy. In fact, they said, look, this guy's got so much stuff in his store, he won't even miss it, doesn't even care. <laughs> well, that wasn't true. <laughs> it was a fun story to tell some dumb kid, but an 11-year-old kid, I had no sense, so then I got messed up. Well, that wasn't a good thing. However, the good Lord came through. See, he, he's always looking out for us. And so, someone told me about Jesus. And I had heard about that because, you know, gee whiz, my mom had been reading me the Bible story since I was a little bitty boy. <coughs> I had it memorized. I was impressed with the lives of those people, but I just knew one thing. It wasn't happening in my life. And I was struggling and didn't have stuff. And all I could think about was having more and getting more and being somebody because I didn't feel like I was much anything. But but the Lord knew better. <laughs> and he knew I was a somebody that just hadn't woke up to find out who the source was. And so once I connected with the source, which was Jesus, and just said, Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, change me and make me a new boy, and I give my life to you, then he took me and made me what he wanted me to be. But it took me 10 years to figure out what I got when I got Jesus. I didn't know what I had. I didn't know what a treasure, what a gift I had received. I just thought, well, okay, ask Jesus in my heart, going to heaven when I die. Got this book, says a lot of things we're supposed to do and be. So I was trying to do and be all this good stuff. But it wasn't working out too good. It wasn't working out too good. But I knew something was missing, and then, and then, I hit the wall again. My wife and I were driving our new car, because now I'm really, I'm really into it, man. I've got a new car. I'm going to college. I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to make something of myself, you know. I'm going to get this thing going. And so, 
driving down the road in my car, minding my own business, and a big old truck pulled right out and smashed into us. No offense to truck drivers, but this big truck smashed into me. And uh, it was not pretty. My car was totaled out. So here's my beautiful car, and we almost got totaled out. And that was the real wake-up call. Wait a minute. <laughs> There's more to life than just having Jesus in your heart. He's come to be my life. Not just come into my heart so we can stick him in the back seat somewhere. I mean, when you hear the song, Jesus, take the wheel, he's serious about this. He'll say, if you give me the wheel, I'll take control. And if I take control, I'll help you, not hurt you. I'll do good by you, not bad. But we've got to give up. And I hadn't come to that because I was still trying to make myself somebody. And I thought, well, if I do all the right things in this book, then I'll, I'll be right. And if I say all the right things, then I'll be right. But inside I knew my attitudes were still wrong. And I had an unfortunate bad track record. Because you see, my grandfather and my great-grandfather and my uncle had all been alcoholics. And so I knew our family had a tendency toward addiction. And I knew if I wasn't careful, I'd go down that path. But by the grace of God, he met me at, at age 11. But yet I realized I hadn't given control to him. And if you're trying to still control your life, you get caught up in the addiction of, of just doing things, of having stuff. There's a lot of addictions in life. Do you know, I have a friend that was addicted to Dr. Pepper. Now that might sound crazy, but she had to have her fix. At least 10 Dr. Peppers a day. And well, there's a lot of caffeine in beverages like that, as you know. <laughs> and if she drank enough of them, she was pretty hyped. And then the sugar, I mean, that sugar, that sugar blues, man. But once, you, anyway, she was pretty big on her, her addiction. And so I knew if I don't somehow find a way to overcome these attitudes that were wrong in me, I might end up, like my relatives, in a bad place. You see, my uncle, they found him dead in a pool of blood. He had, his alcohol had eaten up his cirrhosis of the liver. I mean, it was a bad scene. And my grandfather, I mean, he was a wonderful man. But he was trying to bury his sorrows and his guilt and his shame. And through all of that, and it just wouldn't go away. But do you know, before my grandfather died, I kept talking to the Lord. And I would talk to my grandpa all the time. But he said... God took my grandma. I'm an atheist now. I don't want anything to do with God. If he doesn't do any better than that by me, then I don't want him either. But when, it, but when they called me and said, your granddad had a stroke and they don't expect him to live. And I told my dad, he said, you better get up here. They say he only has a few days. All the family was coming in. Now I live six hours away. But I said, he can't die yet because he hasn't met Jesus. I'm not talking about some intellectual thing. He had grown up in the church. He knew about the existence of him. He believed in the facts even though he denied it and had, was angry at God. But still, he hadn't met Jesus. He hadn't received Christ. He hadn't become a new person. And I knew he wasn't going to die because I'd already talked to the Lord about this. And I was counting on my grandfather meeting Jesus before he died. So I said, well, we're not coming. Two weeks later, he recovered. About a month or so after that, the Holy Spirit spoke to me right in the middle of my biggest exam when I was in school. 
and said, this is the weekend, go to see your grandpa. What? Go see granddad. Okay, Lord, <laughs> what about my school? He said, I'll take care of that. I'm your teacher. I'll handle all that. Okay, so my wife and I got in the car. We drove as, as we drove down that, to, well, we drove up to Enid, Oklahoma. You know, that's where I just came from. So we got there. Went there and talked to my granddad. As soon as we got started talking about, I immediately brought up the Lord. And he said, he said, I know, I know. I need the Lord. He said, I need the Lord. I'm ready to give up. You see, remember I said about giving up? Well, if you don't fully give up at the beginning, then you still got a lot, of, a lot of baggage. And it won't go away until you totally surrender to the Lord and completely give up to Him. Well, that day, Granddad totally surrendered to the Lord. And he gave up. And he asked Jesus to come in and change his life. And he did. And he became a new creation, a brand new man. And all that garbage from his past and all the stuff that had gone wrong in his life and all the negatives he had toward his parents, it was all removed. All removed. And the only thing he had left was a memory. And memories are no big deal. They're actually a good thing because the memory reminds you of the amazing grace of God and the awesome mercy and presence and power of the Lord Jesus Amen. to liberate us and change us. You see, you can be changed. But I had tried to change for 10 years and it wasn't working because when we try to change as good as our intentions are, they're not good enough. And as hard as we try and maybe as good as it looks at first, it never will last. You've tried this stuff. You've tried to change certain things, certain attitudes, certain habits. You try it, but it just doesn't, doesn't work. And then you get frustrated. You get mad. Then you get down on yourself. And pretty soon, you feel like there's no hope for you. And there's no hope in you, but there's always hope for you. Because in the Lord, there's always hope. Jesus Christ is the hope of glory. He's the hope that we have. And he comes to show us another way, a better way, the best way, the best way. That's what he comes to do. So, I was trying to improve on God. I thought if I could just get more like Jesus, be more like Jesus, talk more like Jesus, walk more like Jesus, you know, then somehow that would do it. But that's not possible. The Christian life is the Christ life. The first part of the word Christian is Christ. It's the Christ life. It's his life. And only he can live it. I was trying to live the Christian life. <laughs> and I was failing miserably. And then I was upset with myself for failing. Then I beat myself up. Which really came from the accuser of the brethren. You know there is this guy called the devil. And he's the real deal, and he's not a good thing. And he comes to lie to us, and he's a thief, and he comes to steal from us. And, you know, he'll steal not just stuff, but he steals your joy. He steals your peace. He steals your victory. He steals it all. But, hey, not to worry. Do you know that when, when Jesus chose his 12, do you know that one of them was named Judas? And Jesus handpicked this, this guy who was of the devil that had a mess and he handpicked him and then if, if that wasn't enough Jesus turned over the money bag to him he said here you keep the money bag now he, he was a thief 
by profession. Judas was a thief. And Jesus trusted him with the money bags. Because you know what he was saying? God supplies all my needs. My father God takes care of me. So you can steal all you want. And you think you've got it? No, I've got it. I've got it all. I am the almighty. I am God in the flesh. So there's nothing you can do that's going to scare me. So <laughs> Judas thought he had the upper hand. He didn't. Satan thought he was going to dominate the world through Judas. He couldn't. No way. Jesus is Lord. He is almighty. Jesus overcame Satan. That's why the psalmist David said, The Lord is my shepherd. He's my caretaker. And I do what? Fear no evil. I what? Fear no evil. Why? Because Jesus is my Lord. Oh, we feel afraid. You know, even David himself later admitted, what time I feel afraid? So, David, this great giant slayer who defeated Goliath said he felt afraid. So what? He said, no big deal. When I feel afraid, I just trust the Lord. <laughs> Fear is God's way of reminding you that your flesh is weak, but Jesus is the strength of your life. And in Christ, you are strong in the Lord. And you can do all things through Christ. Wow, this is the amazing grace of God. He unleashes in us the strength, the power, and the ability to overcome all habits, overcome all addictions, to overcome all sin. We in Christ are overcomers. But we've got to discover this amazing gift. You see, I, I didn't just receive the gifts when I was a kid. I unwrapped them. I got into it. I took those clothes, these nice new clothes, and I put them on. Yeah. Woo! I was somebody. And in Christ, you are the best that you can be. But you got to discover what you got when you get him. So first you receive him. He comes in. Then, do you hear this? He says, I stand at the door and knock. There's two sides to a door. The first knock is, let me in. <laughs> let me come on in. So I can come inside you, change you, change you from the inside out. I will change you from the inside out. So he comes in, but then he starts knocking again. In my case, it took him 10 years because I, I, I was a little dull of hearing, you know. But he kept knocking for 10 years. And all this time he's saying by every circumstance, every problem I faced, every adversity, he was saying through it all, my flesh is weak. I humanly don't have the strength to live life. There's only one qualified to live life, and it's the Lord of life, Jesus Christ, who is the life. So finally, I heard that knock. And he was saying, hey, I'm here. Turn me loose. Let me go. Let me out. And I'll come through you and live through you that life that you can't live but so desperately want. And that's what I'm here for. You see, the Christian life is the Christ life, but it's his life, and only he can live it. Only Christ can live this life. So any attempts on your part, any faults and failures on your part, reject that condemnation. There is no condemnation in Christ. In the name of Jesus, I command that spirit of condemnation be gone from you now. And don't buy that lie. 
Do you know what self-condemnation is? You've probably heard of that. Self-condemnation is you believe in the lie of the devil. Who's saying, you're no good, you're a failure, you can't make it, whatever. You must not love God or you wouldn't have acted like that. Wouldn't have said that if you didn't love God. So obviously you don't, you're not, not going to work. You're a total loser. <laughs> well, that's a lie. Because you're a winner in Christ. You're a champion in Christ. You're more than a conqueror through Christ. That's you. So don't embrace the self-condemnation that comes from the lie. Don't keep putting yourself down. Just reject the lie in Jesus' name. When, once you have Christ in you, you have power and authority. And you can say, I reject that lie. Get behind me, Satan. I reject that lie in Jesus' name. And you might have to do that day after day and hour after hour, but it doesn't matter. You just do it. Because that's God's way. Authority is in Christ. And when Christ is in you... You are seated with him in the heavenly places. You're in the throne room. You have authority now. You have power now. You have strength now. You have all the ability and all the resources you need. In fact, he gave us all things for life and godliness. All things in Christ. All things for living life and for godly character. That's what's available. And I'm living proof. So, I came to that place of desperation. The Bible sometimes describes it as brokenness. And I was broken. I didn't just have brokenness experiences. Many of us go through a lot of brokenness experiences. And I did for 10 years. And then one day I realized I'd never been broken. You know, people know about horses. And they, they work with horses. And I've watched some of them do it. And I've ridden a few. But after they've been broken. But when a horse is broken, it's tame and calm and peaceful. And it immediately obeys the, the master. That wasn't me, because I hadn't been totally broken. I had brokenness experiences, bad life experiences, problems in life, but I wasn't totally broken. And to be broken is not a bad thing. It's a good thing, because what he's doing is he's breaking that old hard shell off of you. I love pecans. Man, anything is better when you've got pecans in them. Okay, so, but, but if you try to eat that pecan with that old hard shell, it's going to break your teeth. And if it doesn't do that, it's going to be miserable and probably tear your insides out. In fact, some of you have some digestive problems. The Lord's going to fix that later. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. That old hard shell has got to come off so the good stuff on the inside can come out. See, the little chick is in that egg, and that egg shell finally has to be broken by the little chicken so that the little chicken can come out. That little baby chick can come out. And you and I have this shell around us. Sometimes it's called hard of heart. Hardness. We've learned to build a wall. When you were born, there was a built-in trust mechanism. Just a simple trust. And you trusted mom and daddy and maybe they let you down. It doesn't take much. And pretty soon you start getting conditioned to distrust. Life experiences People, what they say, what they do, they don't always do right by us, they don't always say the right thing, and they beat us down with all this, and pretty soon we don't trust anybody about anything. And that's a healthy, uh, that's a healthy caution. However, <laughs> there is one you can trust, totally, and that's the Lord, because all he wants is your best. He's not here to get something from you, he's here to give something to you, and that something is himself. Wow, <laughs> he gives you himself. Can you believe it? 
That is the best. Not just something he did for you, but someone he gives to you. So God the Father gives you the very best. He gives you himself. Now, so I was finally came to that place of brokenness. I mean, it was it was tough. I was on my, my bedroom floor and I was crying out before God. Lord, I'm such a failure and I'm, I'm so sorry and I, I keep messing up and, you know, on and on. And I can't live this life. And I refuse to try anymore and I give up. I give up. I just give up. But as soon as I did, the Lord said, that's okay. That's what I'm here for. It's my life to live. Just let me live it. Just, just let go. Just turn loose. And let me take you and make you what I want you to be. And when I did that, wow, he took over. And he changed my life. This time, what the Bible calls transform. Because he had changed me on the inside with a new heart. And now, he transformed my life so that what was new on the inside could be seen on the outside. He just started living through me. And there was the, the, the change was from the inside out. And now on the outside, I could experience that new life, that amazing life that Jesus lived when he walked this earth. Do you know, when he walked this earth, he walked along the earth, and he just was out mixing and mingling with everyday folks. But he lived an extraordinary life. And the same life that he lived as he walked this earth, he's here to live today in you. He's here to do do in and through you what he did as he walked the earth you see this body was designed by God to be his house his temple, his dwelling place and Jesus is simply saying hey look if you let me come in I'm going to take up residence in you and if you turn me loose I'll sit on the throne of your life and I'll work through your hands and your feet I'll take control of your mind, your will, your emotions, and your body, and I'll live my life through you. And you get to enjoy the ride. You know, my wife is a great driver. And most of the time when we go on our road trips, she drives the car. And I get to enjoy the ride. Of course, I am working. I'm doing a lot of studying and praying and sending messages and, and contacting people and counseling people all over the world. But I'm doing all that as she's driving along in the car. But I'm enjoying the ride. I don't have to think about which way the road goes, where the directions are. Don't have to be concerned about any of that. Are we going to get lost or, you know, is somebody going to run into us? Nope. I'm just enjoying the ride. Just enjoying the ride. And Jesus is here for you. And he wants you to enjoy the ride. He's given us all things, he said, freely to enjoy. He wants you to have enjoyment in life. Even in the hard times, it's good in the Lord. Because unlike the circumstances that make you happy, happiness comes from the things that happen, but the joy of the Lord is by His Spirit. And when His Spirit is in you and when you allow Him to fill you and control you, then the joy of the Lord is constantly there. That's how when I stood there and the Muslims were surrounding us wanting to kill me, I had the inner peace and joy of the Lord in the midst of trauma and crisis. And I knew I was safe and secure in the Lord. I'm living proof that what this book says is true. I have lived it for 50... Well, we've been married 53 years. And together we've been engaged in ministry, traveling around the world. We've never had any money. We've never made our needs known. We've never made any requests of anybody. We just... God said, if you'll go, the money will come. 
And so we just start out. And most of the time we go off on places, especially in the early years, I didn't even have the money to get home. But as I went, God provided. As I went. So one day, um, I think we, we had two children. They were both real small. And we were sitting at our house in Texas. And Lou said, well, this is the last meal. This is all the food we've got left. And there's no money. And this is it. And I sat at the table there with her. This was the breakfast on a Sunday. And the thought came to me, you can only eat one meal at a time. <laughs> I said, hallelujah. God supplies all my needs. And my need for today is this one meal that sits before me. And I can only eat one meal at a time. That's all I got room for. And so I ate the meal and gave praise to God. And said, Lord, we thank you that our needs are in you, not in a bank, not in a checkbook, not in a credit card. We didn't even have credit cards back then. But our supply is in you. You're the source and supply of all of our needs. After church, a family came to us and said, we've been wanting to take you out to eat. Took us out to the best restaurant in town. And we feasted. <laughs> that was our meal after we had our last meal, you know. Then we got home, and one of our neighbor friends, who was a gardener, he called up and said, Hey, my wife and I have been talking, and we want to share our garden vegetables with you from now on till you move. So all summer, there we're going to bring you vegetables. So <laughs> endless supply of good, fresh, homegrown vegetables. Then that next morning, I got a phone call. And this woman said, I've been wanting to give to your ministry. My husband said, no, he doesn't feel led to do it. She said, but as I was praying this morning, God told me, but I am in charge of the groceries. So I'm bringing you some food. And she brought two or three bags full, those big old brown grocery bags full of food. And that got us going for the next time. And so on and on it goes. And that's how we've lived. I've traveled millions of miles and God always provides always we've never missed a meal every bill has been paid on time this is what God does this is who God is when you follow him now you've got to find his leading for your life you've got to find his way for you but whatever that way is you follow his way for you as he leads and it'll be right and it'll work out for the best because God will take care of you God will take care of you so we sang the song great is your faithfulness perhaps that'll be the song they sing at my funeral because I'm telling you great is his faithfulness he is faithful I almost preached a message title called God's great faithfulness but we got it in anyway thank you for that song because great is his faithfulness what does that say it says you can count on him you can count on the Lord Jesus Christ but you've got to let go you've got to let go and until you give up and let go and turn yourself loose to him, he's not going to be able to do in and through you what he came to do. And believe me, he can do it no matter what it is. And I can tell you some serious stories and some major miracles. But we'll save that for the next conference. All right. So we're going to talk to the Lord together and have prayer a moment here. So uh, let's, let's pray. Lord, I praise you and thank you that you are the almighty God. Almighty God. That means all-powerful, awesome, amazing, amazing God. And thank you that nothing, absolutely nothing is too hard for you. Now, Lord, we confess that our flesh is weak. And yes, I have failed and fallen and stumbled and fumbled and really made a mess. 
But praise God, you are the resurrection and the life, hallelujah. And you raise us up out of that fallen, failed state. And you restore us and you make us new and make us whole and make us alive. And Lord, you are the God of resurrection life. And we praise you that your resurrection presence and power is here right now. And Lord, you know there's people struggling. Some of these folks, some of these people in this room are, are very frustrated. Some are angry. Some are very down on themselves. They, they bought into that lie of condemnation, and they're really hard on themselves. And <laughs> But Lord, they've expected more of themselves than you do, because all you expected of us was failure. I mean, even you told your great apostle Peter, you're going to fail me. So all you expect of us is failure, but that's why you came, <laughs> to pick us up and to make us right. That's why you came, so you could live in us. We're but an empty shell, Lord, until we have you come in. Then you fill the void, and you make the difference. And we give you praise for that, Lord. And Father, you know, there there are people here that have had uh, mental, emotional traumas. People that have, have said and done things to them that have been very hurtful and hateful. And they've felt the depths of rejection and condemnation. But Lord Jesus, you look at us in, in our fallen state and with our flawed uh, flesh and our failures and you say, but neither do I condemn you. I do not condemn you. You've come to forgive and to set free and to make whole. And so we thank you, Lord, that you're not here to condemn us. You're not here to put us down. You've come to pick us up. Even when Peter uh, failed you and, and sunk under the waters, you didn't hold him under and push him down and, and say, serves you right, and I told you so. You just reached out a helping hand. You picked him up, and you put him safely in the ship and got him to the other side. Praise God. This is who you are. And Lord, I pray that you would put each person here at ease. Cause them to relax and know that you're not like anybody else ever, ever, ever. That you are the amazing God of love, unconditional love, and unconditional acceptance. And you've given the very best. And all we've got to do is receive the gift, open our hearts, and let you take complete control. And Lord, that's our heart desire now. So we thank you, Father, how you've prepared us and how you're moving on us right now to just give up. To just give up. To just give up. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, brother, you want to have a closing word here? I'll certainly be glad to pray with any of you as the Lord leads. Just let me know how I can help you. amazing word there's hope there's hope there's purpose